Hey, family. Good afternoon. I, uh, I want to warn you, this is the first time I've preached three sermons. So if I repeat myself, it's not on purpose. Um, you know, I feel like what I want right now is not to preach from a stool, but from a cot with an IV in the arm. Um, so when Pastor Brett talks about not wanting to go to five services, I, I, I understand that uh, deeply. Um, I want to take just a moment before we get into the Word to thank Pastor Brett and the leadership of this house for placing the ministry of making disciples and training leaders before themselves. Somebody with the leadership and the skill sets that Pastor Brett possesses could easily have Brett Fuller Ministries. He could easily uh, be on talk shows and on the radio and doing all the things, but I distinctly remember times many years ago where he turned down those opportunities and talked about how he didn't want to do that because he wanted to be known by Grace Covenant. He wants to be known by you in your ministry, by me and my ministry, by Pastor Donnell's ministry in D.C., by Pastor Dehan's ministry in L.A., Pastor Daryl in Phoenix, the people who's helped train up as leaders and ministers of the gospel who have planted churches in, in the many other places that we've been and the places to which we're still going, be it Denver or Myrtle Beach and whatever is next in the heart of God. Uh, my only complaint is that he talks about wanting to win the city. And uh, for most people, that would be too big. For Pastor Brett and the grace on his life, I would argue that it's been too small. Because God is clearly using him to win more than just the city, but God's using him to impact the nation. He's impacting the country through this man. And so uh, it's, with, it's with a great, great deal of uh, humility that I get to go from Grace Covenant Church as someone who's sent by Pastor Brett, by someone who's grown up in this house and been trained by this man through all the different ways. I've, I've known this moment was coming for a year, and I haven't known how to talk about my experience here at Grace Covenant Church adequately and succinctly enough uh, to actually finish within the amount of a lot of time. I met my wife in a youth group here at Grace Covenant. Uh, we weren't attracted to each other initially. <laughs> she was very off-put by me. Um, she thought I was a dumb jock. And she was pretty accurate in her assessment of me. I wasn't very attracted to her. I, I thought of her maybe that she was something along the line of Amish or Mennonite. <laughs> and she probably made her own clothes. I wasn't far off either, except for it, it was Episcopal. As the grace of God would have it, we just labored alongside one another in various ministries in the church, me, me in the AV booth and her on the stage playing piano. And um, Brian Schweppe, who's served in the AV booth with me for, gosh, 18 out of those 20 years, uh, he, he remembers the day my neck broke. And um, Megan walked into the sanctuary, and I was like, hello. But we labored together in the campus ministry. We labored together on missions trips. We labored together in the worship and song. We labored together in every way we could. And we grew in love together. Very much the way Pastor Brett talks about love growing. 
not just falling in love. Who wants to fall, right? But we grow in love. Upon graduating, I got the dream job of every graduate being a custodian. (laughs) Where my job was to clean a, a building that had been neglected. And with Elder Sean Perkins, we cleaned out maggot-infested refrigerators from (laughs) burgers that rotted. Somebody unplugged it. A previous employee was mad. They unplugged it, and they left it for us to clean up. And that was, that's every graduate's dream. So if you're in college, shoot for the stars. (laughs) Shoot for the stars. Congratulations, recent graduates. Do you want me to fix that? We didn't do that. Yeah, no, some, somebody from a previous, from the previous water park. Ownership, it was bad. It was, that's why we bought it. It's, so we bought it. Well, they bought it. I worked there. And um, even though it was a failed experiment, we called it the planet. And so for a year, I got to be, I got to rule the planet. I got to run, I ran the planet for a full year. You're welcome. Yes. So I ran the planet. My mom was proud of me for running the planet, but that was about it. Um, I did sell all of the water park equipment to a guy down in Texas, so I did that. That was pretty cool. Who sold a used water park before? This guy. You now know someone. If you need to sell a water park, uh, don't call me. I'm not ever going to do it again. I would only do it for Pastor Brett ever. That's the only person I'll ever. So if you ever have another water park to sell, I'm yours, Pastor Brett. Um. But I learned how to be a husband. I learned how to be a father. We have four extraordinary kids who are stepping into this faith journey with us. I've learned how to be a brother, a younger brother, a big brother. I've learned how to be a minister of the gospel. I've learned how to build, not for myself, but for the benefit of other people. And ultimately, that's what takes me to Denver, Colorado. It's not because I have a dream beyond this house. I've only ever dreamed in this house. I didn't have a name for a church that I would pastor someday. I needed to come up with a church name because there's already a Grace Covenant Church where we're going. And that'd be rude. (laughs) Plant right next to another church by the same name. So we came up with a church name and I didn't have my own mission, my own vision. I'm given all the way over to the style of ministry at Grace Covenant Church to the values of this house. We share this, we're taking the same values. I'm not looking for an opportunity to be creative or to express myself in a way that couldn't be expressed because I found all the room I needed for expression here. There's not a single thing over there that I'll get to do that I wasn't doing here. Making disciples, training leaders. It actually only carries with it a lot of responsibility I enjoyed not having. (laughs) (laughs) employees I didn't have to lead, accountants. I didn't, never had to worry about an accountant. Pastor Brett had to worry about the accountant. But I'm stepping out from behind a tank called Pastor Brett Fuller and joining him on the front line for this work because of the call of God. It was my dream to, as a 14-year-old when I came, this is why I stayed, because Pastor Brett talked about establishing a church that looks like heaven and planting churches. And when I heard him talk about that, I knew that's exactly what I wanted to give my life to. I didn't, didn't want anything else. It ruined my appetite for every other option. It's like, I'm going to give myself to that dream. 
I'm going to give myself to that dream here. And for the last 22 years, I've lived that dream. In the last 15 years, as a staff person, I've walked in the fullness of that dream. I'm going to Denver not because I have a dream for something else, but because I believe that God has a dream for our country. And God has a dream for that city that won't be realized if people don't go. It's a burden I didn't fully understand at first. I tried to send other people to plant a church in Denver, and I couldn't figure out why they wouldn't go. (laughs) The need is so great, you should go to Denver. And they're like, no, I'm not feeling that. It's like, why aren't you feeling it? Because I feel it very deeply. And like a good Christian, I was trying to pass off my burden. (laughs) But God wouldn't let me. And it took a prophetic encouragement from Pastor Jim Critcher in this man's hearing to shake me loose and to help me realize that this was God's call for me. It wasn't a call for somebody else. It wasn't just a burden to pray, but it was a call to go. It could only happen in front of Pastor Brett because I would have lied to him about it. I would have just stuffed it under and ignored it longer than I already had, but I can't, and I can't anymore. I don't know how to adequately thank you, Pastor Brett, for all the years for taking me under your wing, for allowing me to be close to you, allowing me the opportunity of learning to be a minister, learning to be a father, a husband. Thank you. If he was interested in Brett Fuller Ministries, I never would have been his assistant because I was terrible at that job. I was worse than bad. It was awful. I mean, we don't have enough time. I'd go into details I'll write a blog about it, but it was, actually, I won't write a blog about it, and that's what it'll be like when I was his assistant. (laughs) Or I'll write a blog and not post it. That'd be more like it, right, Pastor Brett, right? (laughs) Exactly like, exactly like I was when, when I was your assistant. But he was committed, he is committed to making disciples and training leaders. So he taught me to dot my I's and cross my T's, to send an email and how to repent. As badly as I performed at that job, he called me into his office um, for discipline only once. And the time he called me into the office for discipline, he said, you're unrepentant. He wasn't concerned as deeply with the fact I was terrible at the job as he was that my heart was getting hard while I was going through something difficult because he's committed to this. 2 Timothy 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul tells Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and the love that is in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And that's what we're going to do in Denver, Colorado. Over the last years, You've cultivated in me a passion and desire for the power and the presence of God in my life, a passion and a devotion to Jesus Christ and to his church. You taught me about how in the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness, and you cultivated in me a love for family. The only thing I wanted to do more than serve here at Grace Covenant Church forever was to always give my yes to Jesus, and that's what I do with this effort. So we're going to the city of Denver in the pattern of Grace Covenant Church to establish a church that looks like heaven and by the grace of God to make disciples who make disciples and plant a church that plants churches. In just a few weeks, 
the church, Hope Valley Church, is going to be established in Denver, it will be planted. So there's got to be more than wanting to plant a church. We want to see the city transformed for the glory of God as his kingdom is advanced in this city and through our nation. I want to share one of the patterns that I learned at Grace Covenant Church in my time here with the time remaining. I've learned a pattern for parenting. I've been given a pattern for marriage. I've been given a pattern for brotherhood, a pattern for integrity and excellence. Today I want to share with you a pattern for following Jesus, being fully devoted and fully committed to stewarding well the gift of God. And to do this, we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 13. And I'm going to change the sermon title to just striking the ground. It'll make sense when we get to it. <laughs> 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 19. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was going to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, Father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took the bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands and and he said, Open the window eastward. Then he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end to them. And he said to them, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck the ground three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck, the, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, awaken us to your purposes. Awaken us to, to the reality of your kingdom right now in this time. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to comprehend what you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. So the people of Israel are facing these battles. They've got two major problems at hand. The first problem is that Syria is going to wipe them out. That's imminent. They're going to come and they're going to destroy them. And the king is rightfully terrified of Syria. The other problem is that Elisha is sick and he's dying. He's aged and he's passing away. And what he represents to Israel is the presence of God. The, he's, he represents, the, he's the mouthpiece of God and he stands be, as, a, as a priest of sorts between the people and God. And so uh, the king is rightfully terrified because he's losing the man of God and he, the enemy's coming at the same time. And so he cries out to Elisha, Father, Father, I'm losing a father. I'm losing the one who protects and provides. And then he says the, the, the chariots and the horsemen, speaking of the might and the strength of Israel being lost with the loss of this prophet. So he's, he's rightfully concerned, but the prophet knows something that the king doesn't. And he's trying to teach him this lesson right here. What the prophet knew that the king didn't understand is that it was never the prophet who was defending them. It was never Elisha who was pro- providing for them. It was never Elisha who was going to win on their behalf, but it was the God who Elisha represented. The God who Elisha served would be the God who brought deliverance. It's the God who Elisha served that would bring them victory even to the uttermost. I want to talk about the power of a moment, the weight of our actions, and ask a question today, what's in your hand? There were two prophetic acts that occurred in this moment. 
in response to the king's, the king's cry, he, the, the prophet says, okay, this is what we're going to do. I know you're, you're fearful of the enemy coming, so you're going to open the window that faces Syria, and you're going to fire a shot out the window. But, I'm gonna, but the prophet lays his hands on Elisha and helps him understand that he's with him in this. He helps the king understand that I'm, I'm with you in this. This is a significant moment. Make the right decision in this moment. And so I'm sure it was with all sorts of strength and vigor that the king pulled his bow back and he drew back the arrow. He aimed it like he had never aimed it before with form he had never shot before. And he let that arrow rip and the arrow shot out the window and the prophet says, excellent job. Well done. You're going to have victory over Syria. And the king's like, yeah, that's right. We are. Did you see how I shot? that shot? I'm the man. I have secured our, our victory with that shot because I shoot like a boss. There's nobody who shoots in the land like me. I'm a stud. Look at me, Elisha. We'll be all right without you. Thanks for your help. I'll take it from here. The prophet sees the shot and now he's going to test the king. He's going to test Joash. And what he wants to do for Joash is he wants to draw greatness out of him that the king doesn't even know is there. He, he's, he wants to draw possibilities out of Joash that Joash is not even aware of. He hasn't conceived of because there's a greater measure of victory available to him that he's not even aware of. Because while Joash has been around God's people and with the man of God, he hasn't been walking with God. And so he doesn't know about the secret place of victory that's available for him in God. But the prophet knows of this and he's inviting him in almost from the throne room of sorts saying, hey, the victory is good, but there's something even sweeter. Strike the ground and you'll enter into an even better place in God that you haven't even conceived of yet. And so as he's inviting the king in, he goes, this is what the invitation looks like. The invitation looks like this. He says, strike the ground with the arrows. Sometimes the invitation to the deeper things of God doesn't seem like a deep and powerful prophetic moment. The prophet didn't lay his hands on you. There was no music playing in the background. The person didn't have the title pastor or bishop. It wasn't a podcast. You didn't get the Holy Ghost goosebumps. Sometimes the prophetic moment sounds like, hey, there's a food drive. And there are kids who are food insecure and they need resources this summer. Here's an opportunity to strike the ground with the arrow. Sometimes strike the ground sounds like, hey, we're taking up an offering for our orphanages in South Africa because it's winter and the kids need winter clothes. And hey, we're taking up an offering for the kids in, in the orphanages in India because they rely on the fruit off the trees that are planted at the orphanage. And a little bit for us will go a long way for them. Sometimes strike the arrow sounds just like that. And if we're not careful, we'll miss the invitation into deeper intimacy with Christ into enter into deeper intimacy with the father, into greater levels of victory because we don't see the line that connects them. Strike the ground with the arrows. Well, I've already got victory. All right. How was that, prophet? Was that as good? Look at that. I just, I just did what you asked me to do. 
And the man of God became angry. The prophet got upset and, and he said, you should have struck five or six times. You, you still got it in your possession to do more. Why'd you stop? Why didn't you strike more? They were right there in your hand. It wouldn't have taken that much energy. It wouldn't have taken that much resource. I'm not asking you to do something that's beyond your ability or beyond your capacity. It's already there in your hand. Just use it. Why didn't you use it, Joash? I was inviting you into greatness. But you're going to settle. God can only give you three measures of victory when six was available to you. Complete victory was available to you, Joash. The power of a moment is that we don't always know when we're performing a prophetic act. The king didn't know, and it cost him and his people dearly. What prophetic acts have you performed this week, not realizing it was a prophetic act? I shared a couple of weeks ago, and just I, a prophetic act for me, the other day, I was, a couple of weeks ago, I was really stressed out. Just feeling a lot of pressure on some things and got to pack a house and, you know, got to do all these things, got to get halfway across the country. How are we going to do it? And if you think about everything at the same time, it can be overwhelming, but there's grace one day at a time, right? And so God's teaching me that and he's growing my faith, but I was feeling the weight of things. And so I packed up my computer. I wrapped up my cord. I left the, I left the building. I said goodbye to Miss Ethel, who was at the front desk. And I drove to Taco Bell where the compassion of the Lord was waiting for me. In the form of nachos. Come on, don't hate. Somebody's spending their money there or they wouldn't be open. And I performed a prophetic act. Pathetic act. I performed a prophetic act that spoke in that moment that I hate my body. (laughs) I don't like myself very much. (laughs) Because when I went for a run last night, so I'd be skinnier today, I was going to be in shape today, so I went for a run last night. My body was like, hey, you're dumb. I don't run on nachos, especially the back alley rusted needle version of nachos that you've been trying to eat this last couple of weeks. I was so ashamed on my little run. I just limped all the way back to my house just limping because my calf was all cramped up and I just kind of wanted to die. <laughs> well, we perform prophetic acts all the time. Maybe it's not nachos and a back alley Taco Bell. Well, we can perform prophetic acts of walking by our Bible, clicking ignore on that verse of the day instead of pressing in. We can commit prophetic acts of choosing not to come to church on a Sunday morning because I'm, I'm good. Everything's all right. I've got enough victory right now. There's no fires. I'm satisfied with the amount of God that I have. I've got enough victory right now. My marriage is healthy-ish. My parenting's good-ish. I don't need Pastor Brett right now. I'll go once a month. Maybe when it's convenient. And God's inviting us to strike the ground. 
with our attendance, to strike the ground with our prayer, to strike the ground with our faith, to strike the ground with our love, to strike the ground with our resources. The reality is there are only a few big moments in our lives that really define us. And even they don't define us as strongly as the multitude of smaller decisions. We look to the graduations, the marriages, the moves halfway across the country as the big things. But the bigger things are the small day-to-day decisions. Striking the ground with generosity. Striking the ground with hospitality. Striking the ground showing up to work early and filling the copier. Striking the ground by emptying the Keurig machine that somebody left a little cup in instead of just getting mad and leaving one behind too because that's what they did to you, right? Pettiness, right? I mean, I've never done that. Because I strike the ground every time. But God invites us to strike the ground. We need to understand the weight of our actions properly. The first act, where he shot the arrow with the prophet's hand on him, was an act of grace. It was just something that God wanted him to have and something that God empowered him to do and something that the prophet stood with him as he did it. The second act of striking the arrows was an act of stewardship. It was an act of stewardship. How are you going to walk in the salvation that you've received, Joash? Are you just going to walk, just grab it and, and take it and run? Are you just going to settle into it and hold it only for yourself? Or is it something that you're going to share with others? Is it something where you're going to be celebratory in and you're going you're to lean forward into and you're going to get excited about and you're going to press into it and you're going to be thankful and with, with a heart of joy and with a heart of celebration will you strike the ground with passion and vigor? Joash, what are you going to do? Joash, what are you going to do? And Joash just goes, oh, I'm good enough. Thanks for the victory. And he misses out on the total victory. I'd wonder, what are, the, what are the reasons you don't strike the ground? Maybe you don't strike the ground because nobody else is striking the ground. You don't realize that other people are striking the ground. King Joash, probably thinking through it, he's like, did my dad strike the ground? No, well, he wasn't a good king either. But <laughs> what, about, what about, did anybody, did David strike the ground? Did anybody strike, the, is there any record of anybody striking the ground? Somebody research this. Are people striking the ground? Is that where success is? Could you, let's Google search this. Actually, let's send this out. Could somebody check on this? Could we, who's striking the ground? Did it work for them? How well? Because if it worked for them, I'll strike the ground too. If it didn't work for them, it doesn't matter. The prophet's dying anyway. He does, he's crazy. You know, it's like he, he had a real clear moment when he gave me what I wanted. But now he's a little bit not having a clear moment. Because this just doesn't make sense. But a lot of the things that God calls us to do and invites us into just don't actually make much sense. To pursue with love someone who hates you doesn't make much sense. It strikes the ground. To pursue someone who's spreading rumors about you with love and forgiveness doesn't make much sense, but it strikes the ground. To forgive someone when they've wronged you or to go to someone when you've wronged them doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it strikes the ground. 
And what happens when you strike the ground is striking the ground only, it just strikes the ground. But what happens when we strike the ground is God sees our work and the measure by which we strike the ground, he washes over it with his grace and mercy and moves on your behalf in that situation. The king, by striking the ground, didn't destroy anybody. But it let God know that his heart was aligned and he wanted the intimacy with the father so God could move on his behalf. There's a movie, um, uh, gosh, it's not even a good movie, but it's like a it, boxing robots uh, has this name steel in it, real steel. Watched it on the plane. So this guy who's uh, Wolverine, whatever his name is, that guy is not Wolverine in this movie. So, well, he's Wolverine. He's actually Wolverine. He just pretends to be whoever you said because Wolverine's real. So in this movie, he just, in this movie, he just doesn't have, he keeps his things in his hand. He hides them. So he's hiding them and that's why he needs a big robot to fight. But there's this really cool scene. It's the training scene. And what you can watch is, is he's going like this and in the way that he's moving, the robot's moving. And they're like, they're like, okay, you're going to have to, the remote control breaks. And they're like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to fight him like this. And he's like, oh, I'm not a good fighter. And they're like, yeah. And then the inspirational music comes on. And he's like, I am a great fighter. Watch. And, and they do it, but the robot moves. What happens is we strike the ground. God, God strikes our enemy. Yes. Guys, I'm, you, I am not sufficient. You are not sufficient for the enemies that face you. But we serve a God who's more than sufficient for anything that would come at us. And that's what God invites us into to strike the ground. That's why we read our Bible every day. That's why we worship. That's why we pray. That's why we intercede. That's why we give. That's why we show generosity and hospitality to strangers. Because as we strike the ground, God strikes the enemy. As we strike the ground, God opens up greater measures of victory that are available for us that we didn't even know about. God strikes the enemy as we strike the ground. And he didn't even realize there was more available for him. Maybe you've done it before and you didn't see the results. You struck the ground. You struck the ground. You struck the ground and your, your, your child is still rebellious. You struck the ground and you're still in financial trouble. You struck the ground and your job is still difficult or awful. You struck the ground and your executive assistant can't send an email. You struck the ground. <laughs> you struck the ground and your, your father's still sick. You struck the ground and you've still got cancer. You struck the ground and you're still facing difficulty but and you're like it must not work to strike the ground because God doesn't seem to be moving so I'm just going to stop striking the ground but we stop striking striking the ground because we're not as in we don't have the endurance that God has and he's not done yet whatever isn't done yet isn't done yet Where, it might take a minute, right? Whatever's not done yet isn't done yet. It doesn't mean it's never going to happen, y'all. Sometimes we're like, well, it's not done yet, period. No, it's, it's not done yet, ellipse, yet. It's like that email that's coming. <laughs> Gosh, 
gosh, this was an opportunity for the king to participate in the victory that God wanted to give him. God, God was saying, come on, Joash, participate with me. Come on, it's going to be great. Come on, Joash, this is going to be extraordinary. You're going to experience life you've never had before, freedom you've never had before, wholeness you've never had before. Just strike the ground. And he chose not to. I want to ask the question, what's in your hands today as we are called to strike the ground in the presence of God so that he can war on our behalf? What's in your hand? The king wasn't asked to use something he didn't have access to. The king was asked to use something that God had already provided for him and something he was already able to, to gain access to. He was just going to use it in a way he's never used it before. If God hasn't yet invited you to do something impossible, then you're not walking closely with him yet. Did I say that already in the service? Okay, see, I knew it was going to happen. I don't know where I am in the sermon. You're welcome. I need a Gatorade and a nap. If God hasn't asked you to do something that's impossible for you to accomplish, you're not walking with him closely enough yet. And he's inviting you to walk closely enough with him so that he can invite you to do the impossible that he's ultimately going to supply the resources for the impossible to occur. Be it building a building without, without taking out a loan. But if it's building a building with cash that seems outrageous and impossible to do, God has invited you to do it to strike the ground so that you can do something greater beyond just having a building. But it built the faith of everybody who participated and everybody who sowed into it has their resources multiplied as a result of participating in this kind of process. Maybe God invites you to go establish a church in a place that racism is, is prominent and, and systematic and institutionalized racism is problematic and you're like, I think I'm going to build a multi-ethnic church. Like Paul Harris down in Charlottesville or the Perkins down in Myrtle Beach. I can't grow a beard or I don't have thick brim glasses and I don't like flannel and God's calling me to Colorado. <laughs> the only joint I've ever rolled was my ankle. I've got nothing to add to the state of Colorado. I've got only, I've got, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll pick the second service for the podcast. <laughs> Maybe arrows aren't your thing. Maybe you don't have six arrows. In the New Testament, we get a weapons upgrade. With the resurrection of Jesus, the weapon got upgraded. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul lists off our war, our war chest. You know, special, uh, special ops guys in some, in some branches of the military, when they get through their training and everything before they're deployed, they get a locker full of weapons. Like in the movies, they actually get it. And they get to walk in and select all of their weapons that go into this, all kind of stuff, stuff we don't even know about. And like bullets shooting around corners. Now I'm making stuff up. But they get, they get this war locker where they get, the, they get all these weapons. And all, do they have that, Pastor Sean? Oh my Lord Jesus. I was just prophesying. So you can get those kind of weapons. Sometimes you got to shoot the enemy you can't even see. That's what, we could go there, Shanique. We could preach. 
These are the weapons Paul talks about. He talks about, you've got some, you've got some weapons. He said, you got the belt of truth, one. Two, the, belt, uh, the breastplate of righteousness. Three, readiness given by the gospel of peace. Four, the shield of faith. Five, the helmet of salvation. And six, the sword of the spirit with which you can fight this battle and be all built up so that you can come to God and you can pray. So we put on all these weapons so that we can enter in to God's presence and pray. And what happens as we pray? God moves on our behalf and destroys the enemies that would otherwise take us down. Family, we're being invited to strike the ground. We're invited to strike the ground, not just this summer. Strike the ground this summer. Show up every Sunday because you feel relaxed. Not I feel relaxed, I'm not going to church. It's I feel relaxed, I'm going to church. And I'm, I don't, it sounds like I'm yelling at you. I'm like, good job. You came to church on Memorial Day weekend. But come next weekend too. In the following week, in the following week, in the following week, and strike the ground, and strike the ground, and strike the ground, and strike the ground, knowing that with every striking of the ground, God's moving mightily and powerfully on your behalf. Can you pray with me today? Father, in the name of Jesus, we hear your invitation to strike the ground. And God, with great humility, we repent for ways that we have not struck the ground where we've settled in, where we've been satisfied with what we've already had, where we haven't even desired greater or more of you or from you. God, we repent for that I have enough attitude. God, because you are the God of more than enough. And we position ourselves in this moment. God, we open the window that faces our enemy by your spirit. We fire out that window knowing that you've moved on our behalf. Jesus, I ask that you would give us the courage and the faith to strike the ground tomorrow to strike the ground on Tuesday morning, to strike the ground on Wednesday afternoon, to strike the ground on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and to rinse and repeat and do the same thing next week. God, I ask that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit for the work that you've called us to. God, we thank you that you are the one that ensures our victory. You're the one who purchased the victory for us. You purchased our salvation for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And God, it's through your resurrection that we have access to the more. God, we thank you for the stewardship of our faith. And we ask that you would move mightily in us and through us. That we'd walk closely with you and intimately with you. And would never be satisfied. But always hungering for more of you. According to your loving kindness in Jesus' name. Amen.